A few weeks ago, I had one of those quarantine cravings. I'm sure that you've had some as well. But I woke up one morning and I knew that I needed more than anything in the world, a Starbucks coffee. So I got out of bed and I woke Rachel up and we drove to Starbucks to the only one that I knew was open that had a drive-through. And uh, we made great time on our drive. There was no traffic. It was a beautiful morning as well. The birds were chirping, the sun was out. I was just excited and happy to be going to get my coffee. And as we were getting closer to Starbucks, I even had the thought in my mind, we'll be in and out in a minute and uh, I'll be home and I'll get all my work done early today. And literally, as I was thinking that to myself, we turned the corner and I saw it. I saw it. I kid you not, I saw the longest Starbucks drive through line in the history of the world. There was probably over 50 cars in line, filled with people waiting for their coffee. And right at that moment, Rachel turned to me and she's like, let's go home. I'm not waiting in that line. We'll just go make our own coffee. Why would we wait that long for Starbucks? And you'd think being a pastor and a man of God, I would have listened to my wife. But also you probably have noticed I'm a member of the male species. And it's not too easy for me to admit when I've made a mistake. So I didn't listen to my wife and I doubled down. I was like, no, Rachel, we've driven this far. We're going to wait in line and you're going to like it. So we got in line and we waited and we waited and we waited and we were miserable. My friends, what that waiting period for that coffee is revealing this morning is something that's true about my heart. And it's simply that I'm so prideful, I'd rather wait in a drive through line for 45 minutes for a coffee than admit that I'm wrong. And the bad news this morning I have for all of us is I'm not the only one who struggles with pride. It's actually part of the human condition. And what we're going to see this morning in our story is a group of individuals who are struggling with pride. And what we're going to see is that when we are prideful, we actually miss Jesus. When we're prideful, we miss Jesus. That's why it's so bad. So let's take a look at that truth in our scripture. We're going to start reading in verse 18. So Jesus, he's just walked into his hometown synagogue and he's getting ready to preach a sermon in this synagogue where he grew up with these people that know him so well. And uh, he unrolls the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and we'll pick it up in verse 18. It says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? 
So Jesus, he walks into his hometown synagogue and he's getting ready to preach this sermon to people who know him well, people that he grew up with. And these people would have known what was happening already all over the region of Galilee. Jesus was already doing ministry in many of the towns. And in fact, it says in the verse right before our reading this morning that he was speaking in all the synagogues and that he was being glorified by all. Jesus' ministry, it's absolutely taking off. It's taken off. And people are hearing about it. They're hearing about the healings. They're hearing about the miracles. And the people of Nazareth, they've heard all about his ministry. And so now he's back home and he's getting ready to do some ministry with these people who know him well, these people that he grew up with. And he unrolls that famous section of the scroll of Isaiah, this famous messianic prophecy, and he reads it. He reads, uh, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and at, set at liberty those who are oppressed. And he reads all this and he sits down and he says, today, uh, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. So essentially, he goes into his hometown and he claims that he is the Messiah, that he is this coming one who's going to bring healing to the people of Israel, that he is here to bring this good news. And who is he bringing this good news to? Well, he's bringing the good news to the poor, to the captive, to the blind, and to the oppressed. In other words, he's come to bring this good news to these people who know that they're broken. Now, there's only one problem. The people of his hometown, the people of Nazareth, they haven't come to that realization yet. They haven't really noticed that they're broken. They think that they're doing pretty well. And not only that, they know Jesus. They know him better than anybody else in Galilee. They know all about him. And so what we're about to see, as you already know, is their reaction to his message about claiming to be the Messiah. And what we're going to see in this reaction is simply, no matter how much we know about Jesus, no matter how much we know about him, we will not receive him unless we're broken before him. So let's take a look at that truth going on in verse 23. So he's just claimed that he's the Messiah. And now he says this. He said to them, Doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. So what's going on here? What is he saying? Well, he's saying, I know what you're thinking. I know your thoughts and what you're thinking is that I need to heal myself before I can heal anybody else. And this is most likely a famous rabbinic proverb that Jesus is quoting that would have been well known. And if you think about it logically, it makes sense. Uh, you wouldn't go to a doctor that you know is sick, right? That's what he's saying. You wouldn't go to a dermatologist, for example, if that dermatologist's skin was all broken out and covered in rashes, or you wouldn't go to a doctor uh, because you had the flu 
and you saw that he was hacking and coughing up, you wouldn't want to go and see that guy because he's sick, right? He needs to focus on his own healing before he can help anybody else. And essentially what Jesus is saying, he's saying, I know your thoughts. And what you're thinking is, you know me. And you know some stuff about me. You know that my parents are Joseph and Mary. You know that I'm poor, that I grew up with no money. You know that I'm homeless. I don't even have a home to live in right now. And you know these things about me. And what you're thinking right now is, I need to get my stuff together, my act together, before I can go out claiming to be the Messiah and claiming to be this one who's going to bring healing to other people. I need to make some money. I need to actually get my stuff together. And then Jesus goes on, he says, uh, not only that, he says, what we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. So we know you, Jesus. We know your past. We know who you are. And not only that, but whatever you did in Capernaum, right? This was his home base of ministry. Whatever you've done there, you better do that and even more here. In other words, Jesus, we know you. So you're going to have to prove it to us that you're the Messiah. You're going to have to do as many miracles and as many awesome things as you've done in other places. You're going to have to do all those things and more here because you got to prove it. You got to prove it. You see, and in their pride, the people of Nazareth, they think that they know Jesus. And the truth is they know just enough about Jesus to be dangerous. They know just enough about Jesus to be dangerous. And I think this is the case for many of us. You see, we claim to know Jesus, but we don't really know him. We claim to see Jesus, but we haven't really seen him. We even claim, some of us, to reject Jesus, but we haven't actually rejected the true Jesus. We've rejected a caricature of him that we've designed, that we've created, that we can control. We haven't rejected the true Jesus. And so these people, they know just enough about Jesus to be dangerous. And what they're revealing is that no matter how much we know or claim to know about Jesus, we will not accept him until we're broken before him. And what Jesus is about to do, he's about to respond to these people, his people of his hometown and to us. And he's going to respond to this prideful, arrogant attitude by telling two stories. And we're going to focus specifically on one story this morning, the story of Naaman. You heard a little bit of it from our student ministries director for the children's sermon. Now, this story of Naaman, it's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. It's an incredible story. And I encourage you to read it, to read it even today. It's in 2 Kings chapter 5. But Jesus is going to tell this story. And the point of this Naaman story is simply this, that when we humble ourselves, when we recognize our brokenness, that we are then able to receive from the living God. So who is Naaman? Naaman is a commander in the Syrian army. He is a commander in the armies of the enemies of Israel, and he's very successful. It says that he's conquered many peoples on behalf of the Syrians. And because of that, he's rich, he's prideful, he's arrogant, he's pompous, he thinks he deserves everything. 
But to the Israelite mind, Naaman is the last person who deserves to be healed or given anything from God, right? He's the enemy of Israel. He's actually one of the oppressors of the Israelite people. But Naaman is also sick. You see, Naaman has leprosy. And we read about this in 2 Kings. And he doesn't know what to do. And so out of desperation, Naaman hears about this prophet named Elisha in Israel. And this prophet has healed many people. And so Naaman, he goes to the king of Syria. He asks for a ton of money so he can go to Israel and basically buy a healing from this God of Israel. So he takes all this money, all this wealth. He takes this huge entourage with him. He shows up to the king of Israel and he says, I need to be healed. You need to tell God to heal me. And the king of Israel, he is filled with fear because he knows if Naaman is not healed, he's a dead man because they'll just depose him because the Syrians are much more powerful than the people of Israel at this point. So he's afraid. He doesn't know what to do. Elisha, the prophet, hears about this. He calls to the king of Israel. He says, send Naaman to me. Send Naaman to me. And so the king sends Naaman to Elisha. Naaman shows up at Elisha's house with his whole entourage, with all this money. And he's expecting to be kind of wined and dined because of his status. And Elisha doesn't even answer the door. He doesn't even talk to Naaman. He sends out his servant to Naaman. And the servant says, Naaman, go dip in the river Jordan seven times and you'll be healed. And Naaman, he absolutely loses it. It says he was filled with rage. He's like, don't you know who I am? Don't you know who I am? And you don't even come out here to give me the time of day to talk to me. He's so angry. And in his pride, he's about to storm off. He's about to storm off. He's about to go back to Syria. He says, there's way better rivers in Syria. Why would I wash in the Jordan, this dirty Hebrew river? But one of his servants walks up to him and his servant basically says this to Naaman. He says, Naaman, what do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? Why don't you just dip in the river? You've come all this way. Just try it. Just try it. And my friends, for those of us who have never actually received the true Jesus or ever even sought the true Jesus, that's my question to you this morning. What do you have to lose? You got nothing to lose and everything to gain. And so Naaman, he listens to his servant, he humbles himself, and he gets in the river Jordan. He does it seven times, and he's healed. He's healed. He's healed of his leprosy. It's gone. But that's not the point of the story of Naaman. You see, the story doesn't end there. No, Naaman, he comes back to Elisha, and he tries to pay off Elisha. They won't take any money. And he says something very interesting. He says, well, let me just take some of the dirt from Israel. Let me just take some of the dirt from Israel back with me to Syria so that I can spread it out on the ground and worship the only living God, the only true God. You see, my friends, when Nathan, Naaman humbled himself, he received something much more than just healing. You see, he received a relationship with the living God. He received a relationship with the living God. He was going to do whatever it took 
to worship that God of Israel. So this morning, what do we see? We really see two different groups of people. We see the people of Nazareth. They, in their pride, missed Jesus. They missed him. The living God was standing right in front of them and they missed him. And then we see this man, Naaman, who humbled himself and he received not only healing, but much more importantly, he received a relationship with this living God. And when I look at these two groups of people, my friends, if I'm honest with you, most of my life, I've been like the people of Nazareth. I think I've missed Jesus most of my life because of my pride. And I've missed out on so much of what he has had for me. And it makes me grieve because I know that he's had so much more for me. He's had so much more for me than I've walked into. But now, when I look at Naaman, I'm also encouraged. Because I know that my call is simple. It's just to humble myself before the living God. You see, because when I humble myself before him, not only am I able to draw near to him, but he draws near to me as well. What an incredible thought. So my friends, what do we see in our scripture this morning? It's simply that we have a problem. It's our pride. And our pride, it prevents us from seeing Jesus. He's always there, but it prevents us from seeing his movement in our lives. But when we are broken before him, when we admit our brokenness, and when we turn to him and humble ourselves, he draws near to us, and we draw near to him. Thanks be to God.